Chapter 6 of Thoughts Are Things by Prentice Mulford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrea Fiore. Chapter 6 God in the Trees, or the Infinite Mind in Nature. You are fortunate if you love trees, and especially the wild ones, growing where the great creative force placed them, and independent of man's care. For all things we call wild or natural are nearer the infinite mind than those which have been enslaved, artificialized, and hampered by man. Being nearer the infinite, they have in them the more perfect, infinite force and thought. That is why when you are in the midst of what is wild and natural, in the forest or mountains, where every trace of man's works is left behind, you feel an indescribable exhilaration and freedom that you do not realize elsewhere. You breathe an element ever being thrown off by the trees, the rocks, the birds, and the animals, and by every expression of the infinite mind about you. It is healthfully exhilarating. It is something more than air. It is the infinite force and mind as expressed by all these natural things, which is acting on you. You cannot get this force in the town, nor even in the carefully cultivated garden, for there the plants and trees have too much of man's lesser mind in them, the mind which believes that it can improve the universe. Man is inclined to think that the infinite made this world in the rough, and then left it altogether for him to improve. Are we really doing this in destroying the native forests, as well as the birds and animals, which once dwelt in them? Are our rivers, many of them laden with filth of sewage and factory, and our ever-expanding cities and towns, covering miles with piles of brick and mortar, their inhabitants crammed into the smallest living quarters, honeycombed with sewers below, and resounding with rattle and danger above, are these really improvements on the divine and natural order of things? You are fortunate when you grow to live a tender, earnest love, for the wild trees, animals, and birds, and recognize them all as coming from and built of the very same mind and spirit as your own, and also able to give you something very valuable in return for the love you give them. The wild tree is not irresponsive or regardless of a love like that. Such love is not a myth or mere sentiment. It is a literal element and force going from you to the tree. It is felt by the spirit of the tree. You represent a part and belonging of the infinite mind. The tree represents another part and belonging of the infinite mind. It has its share of life, thought, and intelligence. You have a far greater share, which is to be greater still, and then still greater. Love is an element, which though physically unseen, is as real as air or water. It is an acting, living, moving force, and in that far greater world of life all around us, of which physical sense is unaware, it moves in waves and currents like those of the ocean. There is a sense in the tree which feels your love and responds to it. It does not respond or show its pleasure in our way or in any way we can now understand. Its way of doing so is the way of the infinite mind, of which it is a part, the ways of God are unsearchable and past finding out. They are not for us to fathom. They are for us only to find out and live out in so far as they make us happier. 
there is for all in time a serenity and peace of mind which passeth all understanding but this peace cannot be put through a chemical analysis or the operation of the dissecting room as the great spirit has made all things is it not that all-pervading mind and wisdom in all things when we love the trees the rocks and all things as the infinite made them shall they not in response to our love give us each of their particular thought and wisdom shall we not draw nearer to god through a love for these expressions of god in the rocks and trees birds and animals do we expect to find god realize him more every day appreciate the mighty and immeasurable mind more every day and get more and more of his power in us every day only by dwelling on the word of these three letters g o d you laugh perhaps at the idea of a tree having a mind a tree that thinks but the tree has an organization like your own in many respects it has for blood its sap it has a circulation it has for skin its bark it has for lungs its leaves it must have its food it draws nourishment from soil air and sun it adapts itself to circumstances the oak growing in exposed situations roots itself more firmly in the soil to withstand the tempest the pines growing thickly together take little root for they depend on numbers to break the wind's force the sensitive plant recoils at the approach of man's hand many wild plants like indians will not grow or thrive in artificial conditions yet with all of these physical resemblances to your own body you deny the tree or plant such share of mind as the infinite gives it no not that the tree is a part of the infinite mind even as you are it is one of the all-pervading myriads of thought we see only such part or form of that thought as is expressed in trunk root branch and leaf even as with ourselves we see only our physical bodies we do not see our spiritual part nor do we see in the tree its spiritual part the tree is then literally one of god's thoughts that thought is worth our study it contains some wisdom we have not yet got hold of we want that wisdom we want to make it a part of ourselves we want it because real wisdom or truth brings us power we want power to give us better bodies sounder bodies healthier bodies we want entire freedom from sickness we want lighter hearts and happier minds we want a new life and a new pleasure in living for each day we want our bodies to grow lighter not heavier with advancing years we want a religion which will give us certainty instead of hopes and theories we want a deity it is simply an impossibility to doubt we want to feel the infinite mind in every atom of our beings we want with every day to feel a new pleasure in living and commencing where we left off yesterday to find something new in what we might have thought to be old and worn out yesterday when we come into the domain of the infinite mind and are ever drawing more of that mind to us and making it a part of us nothing can seem flat stale and unprofitable we want powers now denied the mortal we want to be lifted above the cumbersomeness of the mortal body above the pains of the mortal body above the death of the mortal body can trees give us all this 
they can help us very much to do so when we get into their spirit when we recognize and realize more and more the reality of that part of the infinite which they express and when we can cease to look on them as inanimate creatures if you look on trees as fit only for lumber and firewood you get very little life from them they feel then towards you as you would feel toward a person who regarded you as a thing without mind or sense and fit only to be sawed into lumber or firewood when we really come to love god or the infinite spirit of good we shall love every part of god a tree is a part of god when we come to send out our love to it it will send us love back and that love that literal mind and element coming from the tree to us will enter our beings add itself to them and give us knowledge and power it will tell us that the mind and force it represents of the infinite has far better uses for man than to be turned into fuel or lumber their love will tell us that the forest piercing the air as they do with their billions of branches twigs and leaves are literal conductors for a literal element which they bring to the earth this element is life-giving to man in proportion to his capacity for receiving it the nearer we are to a conception of the infinite mind the clearer it is seen by us that this mind pervades all things the closer we feel our relationship to the tree bird or animal as a fellow creature the more we can absorb the vitalizing element given out by all these expressions of mind a person who looks on trees as fit only for fuel and lumber can get but little of this element which to the finer mind is an elixir of life the mind which sees in tree bird animal fish or insect only a thing lacking intelligence and fit only to destroy or enslave for amusement repels from all of these a spirit or element which if recognized would be received or absorbed and if absorbed would bring a new life and power to the mind and body we get the element of love only in the proportion we have it in us we can only draw this element from the supreme power we draw it in proportion as we admire every expression of the infinite be that expression tree or shrub or insect or bird or other form of the natural we cannot destroy or mutilate what we really love and the more of these things we really love the more of their element of love flows to us that element is for us life as real as the tree itself the more of that life we are receiving and absorbing the more shall we realize a power in life which only can be expressed as miraculous destroy the forests and you lessen temporarily the quality of this element given out by them replace the wild tree by exotics or cultivated varieties and such element is adulterated and the vigor it can give is lessened cover the whole earth with cities towns villages and cultivated fields and we interfere with a supply of life-giving element which the forests in their natural state only can furnish keep ourselves dead to the recognition of the tree as a part of the infinite spirit and we are dead and unable to absorb the infinite spirit working in and through the tree the trees are always giving out an element of life as necessary to man as the air he breathes man's works as soon as finished are giving out dust and decay in our great cities we take in dust with every breath nothing in this universe is still or in absolute rest our miles of stone brick and mortar are ever in movement 
slowly and imperceptibly, grinding to an impalatable dust. Cloth, leather, iron, and every material worn and used by man is ever wearing into dust. Look at the dust which in a single day accumulates in your room, on shelf and table, or fine garment, even when its windows are not open. A gigantic, ever-moving force is at work there, taking everything to pieces in it. Let a sunbeam enter through a shutter's crack and see the innumerable motes floating in it. Think of the myriads of these too minute to rank even as atoms that you cannot see. All this is second-hand element, which is breathed and absorbed into both body and spirit. But trees and all natural things send out element full of life. Our bodies also are ever throwing off the skin matter that they can no longer use. In the great city, thousands on thousands of bodies are throwing out disused element, too fine to rank even as dust. It is thrown off by sick bodies, and many are sick on their feet. This we breathe, we breathe each other, over and over again. This unseen cloud of matter pervading crowded cities is not life-sustaining. It has in it a certain life, as all things have life, but it is not fit for man's growing life. When we get eternal life, health, and unalloyed happiness, the attitude of our minds will be entirely changed toward tree, bird, animal, and everything in nature. We shall see that when we really love all these expressions of the infinite mind, tree, plant, bird, and animal, and leave them entirely alone, they will send out to us in love their part and quality of the infinite. It will flow to us a new life and the source of a life of far greater power and happiness than the present one. But how shall we live, one asks, unless we cut down the tree for fuel and lumber, slay bird and beast for food? Do you think there is no other way of life than the one we live now? Do you think in the exalted and refined mental condition we call heaven, that there will be killing of animals, mutilation of trees, and destruction of any expression of the supreme wisdom? Do you think we can grow into that higher and happier state of mind without knowledge of the laws by which only it can be attained? As well expect to sail a ship around the world without knowledge of seamanship or navigation. We are not to drift into heaven in the way a cask rolls down a hill. We cannot cease immediately from the enslavement or slaughter of tree, bird, or animal, nor from the eating of animal food. So long as the body craves and relishes such food, it should have it. When the body is changed by our spirit and belief to finer elements, the stomach and palate will reject meat of every description. It will not abide the taste or smell of slaughtered creatures. When the spirit settles these matters, it does so definitely and forever. Man's error in the past has often been that of endeavoring to spiritualize or change himself of his own individual will into higher and finer conditions. To this end, he has enforced on himself and other fasts and penances and abstinences from pleasure which his nature craved. He has never by such methods saved himself from sickness, decay, and physical death. He has never by this method regenerated or renewed his body. He has lost his body eventually, even as the glutton and drunkard lost theirs. The ascetic has not trusted in the supreme to raise him higher in the scale of being, but in himself and his own endeavor. 
This is one of the greatest sins, because it cuts such a person off temporarily from the Supreme and the life, and the Supreme will send when trusted. There is no way out of any sin, any excess, any injurious habit, but through an entire dependence on the Supreme Power to take away the gnawing, the craving, the desire peculiar to that habit. Otherwise the man may seem reformed outwardly, but he is never reformed inwardly. Repression is not reform. The bigot of every age and creed has been the person thinking he could of himself make himself an angel. Such belief makes the man stand still in his tracks. The Supreme is always saying, Come to me, demand of me, find me in all created things, and I shall be ever sending you new thoughts, new ideas, new things, new element, which shall change your tastes, your appetites, which shall gradually take away grossness, eliminate gradually fierce, insatiate, lawless desire, and hurricane of passion, and bring you to pleasures you cannot now realize. We shall see more and more clearly in time that when we get the higher, finer, and more enduring life to which we all must grow, we shall have the greatest possible inducement to give the trees, plants, birds, and animals, and all other expressions of the infinite, their lives and their fullest liberty. We shall be compelled to love them. What we really love, we cannot abuse, kill, or enslave. We cannot cage a bird for our own pleasure. We do not cage the bird for its pleasure. That is not the highest love for the bird. The highest love for all things is for us a literal source of life. The more things in the world of nature to which we can give the higher love, the more of their natural love and life we shall get in return. So as we grow, refine, and increase this power of recognizing and loving the bird, the animal, the insect, or in other words, the infinite in all things, we shall receive a love, a renewed life, strength, vigor, cheer, and inspiration from not only these, but the falling snowflake, the driving rain, the cloud, the sea, the mountain. And this will not be a mere sentiment, but a great means for recuperating and strengthening the body. For this strengthens the spirit with a strength which comes to stay, and what strengthens the spirit must strengthen the body. We cannot make of ourselves this capacity for so loving and drawing strength from all things. It is our belonging, but it must be demanded of the supreme power. It is natural to ask, but why did not the supreme power implant at first this higher love in us? Why has that power so long permitted man to go on slaughtering and marring nature? Why are tempests and earthquakes and wars, and so much in the forces of nature and the forces of man, allowed to go on and bring so much catastrophe and misery? We do not undertake to answer for the infinite wisdom. It is enough for us to know that there is a road leading away from all we call evil. It is enough for us to know that the time is to come when as new beings with changed minds we shall forget absolutely that such evils ever existed. We shall see in the forces of nature, be they fire or tempest, or aught else, only what is good and what can bring us happiness. We are not always to be of the material which can be injured by fire or tempest. The fiery furnace did not affect the three Jewish children who walked through it, 
nor was the tempest of any inconvenience to the Christ of Judea when he walked on the waters. What history has shown to be possible for some is possible for all. Communion with nature is something far above a sentiment. It is literal joining with the infinite being. The element received in such joining and acting on mind and body is as real as anything we see or feel. The ability so to join ourselves with God through his expressions in the cloud, the tree, the mountain and sea, the bird and animal, is not possessed by all in equal degree. Some are miserable when alone in the forest, plain or mountain. They are literally out of their element or current of thought. They can live with comfort only in the bustle of the town or the chatter of the household. They can find life only in artificial surroundings. Their spirits are covered with a parasitical growth of artificiality. This cuts them off from any sense of God's expression in the solitude of nature. So cut off, they feel lonesome in the woods. Nature seems wild, savage, and gloomy to them. Whoever can retire for periods to nature's solitudes and enjoy that solitude, feeling no solitude at all, but a joyous sense of exhilaration, will return among men with more power and new power, for he or she has literally walked with God, or the infinite spirit of good. The seer, the prophet, the miracle workers of the biblical history so gained their power. The Christ of Judea retired to the mountains to be reinforced by the infinite, the Oriental and the Indian, through whom supreme powers have been expressed, love nature's solitudes. They could live in them with pleasure. They could muse by rock or the ocean for hours, almost unconscious of immediate surroundings, because their spirits had strayed far from their bodies and were dreamily absorbing new ideas of the infinite. You will rarely find a person who is a ruler, soldier, inventor, discoverer, poet, or writer, left his impress on the race, but loved communion where God is most readily found. Their inspiration is born. The poet cannot sing of the city laid out at right angles, with sewer beneath and elevated road above, as he can of the rugged mountain wrapped, like Jura, in her misty shroud. We cannot train ourselves to this capacity for enjoyment of the natural things of earth or for drawing strength from them. To assume a virtue when we have it not is to be forced, gushy, and sentimentally silly. But when we demand persistently of the infinite, the new mind, which can find and feel God in the forest or on the sea, in the storm and tempest, and feel not only safety but absorb power and strength, when nature's forces seem in their most angry mood, that mind with that capacity will gradually take the place of the old one, and with the new mind, all things will become new. End of chapter 6 Recording by Andrea Fiore